podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the Church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Barbara Bancroft as she shares gospel truths for women in ministry. Barbara is a pastor's wife and serves today with Surge. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2014 General Assembly. Let's listen as Barbara shares how to navigate the challenges of women in ministry. Oh, thanks so much for coming at 8 a.m. I hope your coffee will kick in. Are your tea or your caffeine filled? <clears throat> um, it's real interesting. Um, I work with a group called Surge. You may know it as World Harvest Mission. I've had several conversations this morning already, and um, <clears throat> folks know Surge. I mean, know World Harvest, but uh, are unfamiliar with Surge. We have a booth. Um, you could stop by, see the materials we have. We have a lot of resources for. Um, uh, folks in ministry um, that I think you might find helpful, encouraging. Let me uh, ask Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Kemble, who works in our Gospel uh, Resource Network. And if you have questions about resources, she's your woman. Uh, would you open us in prayer, Lindsay? Yeah. Can I stand next to you? You can. Here you go. How about? Oh, just go ahead. Father, thank you for the women in this room. Thank you for the stories of your faithfulness that are represented. Mm. in their lives. Um, Lord, I ask that this, this hour would be a time um, that they could find their hearts at rest, um, that they could listen and receive. Father, thank you for the completed work of Christ. Um, thank you that even when it doesn't feel like it, we, we really do rest secure. So I mm. ask that that would be a truth that would amaze our hearts anew this morning. And Lord, I ask that you would be with Barbara as she speaks. Um, would your spirit really speak through her? Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Lindsay. Um, Although we do have resources uh, for churches and um, have been known for something called the Sonship Course that many people have found helpful, we really are a mission-sending organization, and our heart as an organization is that um, uh, the gospel would be pushed into the world and that we would be a part of that kingdom work um, a number of years ago, my husband Josiah, who's in the back, faithful, sweet husband, here he is. Uh, a number of years, my husband and I um, found, and our fellow surge workers, uh, Dan and Jenny Heron, found ourselves in Uganda training college students for summer ministry. And as my friend Jenny stood before the group of dedicated college students, in a very simple classroom in Fort Portal, Uganda, <clears throat> she began by writing words on the whiteboard. 
words like critical, prideful, self-indulgent, controlling. And of course, you can imagine you're in an open classroom. The windows are open. You know, it's um, not like here where we're all in this nice insular little cocoon. Um, and you have a room full of college students. Well, they're talking, and gradually the room gets quieter and quieter as everybody's focus sort of starts, kind of goes to this board. Um, and at the end, by the time she stopped writing, it, the room was completely silent. You know, it's pretty hard to convince dedicated college students Christian college students that they're sinners that need Jesus every day. It's just kind of not where they are, is it? Um, you know, they'd signed up for summer missions. They raised their support. Um, their churches view them, uh, viewed them as the dedicated Christian college students on campus. They were known as believers. But as Jeannie began to write words on that whiteboard... She really challenged them to reevaluate their view of themselves and the condition of their hearts that day sitting in that classroom. Um, it's also been my experience that it's pretty difficult to get a room full of pastor's wives to admit that we're sinners. <laughs> Missionaries too. <clears throat> Not just occasional sinners. Um, I was a really good occasional sinner. You know, when the, um, you know, you were having the prayer and you got to the point in the prayer where they said, okay, now everyone confess your sins. And I would go, let's see. Um, um, uh, sometimes I, I'm embarrassed to say I could not even think of a sin. And, you know, usually, sometimes it was usually like, well, I lost my temper or um, I shouldn't have said that or, um, but I didn't, I didn't have a lot to say when, when that part of the prayer came. Um, <clears throat> and we're not just well-meaning sinners. Perhaps some of you have been well-meaning sinners. I have. I have actually said the words, Oh, that's not me. I, I don't know why I did that. That's not really like me. Or, or said, I don't know why I said that. that oh, no, that's not me. <laughs> but it, it actually was me. I did it. I did say it. <clears throat> you know, that, that, no, we're not occasional sinners. We're not accidental sinners. So, oops, just have to slip up. <clears throat> we're actually chronic repeat offenders. When it comes to sin, even those of us who have been in ministry for years, we're still chronic repeat offenders. <clears throat> As you look at the words on the whiteboard today, ask yourself, how much do I need Jesus today? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? it that, that is the question. How much do I need Jesus today? <clears throat> and that's the same question we ask our summer missionaries because we knew that their answer to that question would inform their entire summer of ministry. <clears throat> I've been in ministry a long time, um, started young. I was barely 20 when Josiah and I got married. I was still 20 when nine months later I had my first child. 
I was 21 when we moved to Jackson, Mississippi for seminary. 23 when Josiah did his first 15, his 15 month internship at a church plant of about 125 that met in a storefront. You uh, may have heard of it. It's Orangewood Presbyterian Church in Orlando. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? And I was 25 when we started our first church plant with three families in a small town in central Louisiana. And by that time, I was... We're good. (laughs) By that time, I was um, mother of three. So, as you might guess, I had no idea what I was doing and I had no confidence that I was doing it well. You know, I was still trying to figure out how to be married and be a mother and, you know. But I began to realize that somewhere in that first four-year church plant, I began to realize that um, the excitement that I had for serving Jesus um, before we started ministry was nothing like the reality of being a pastor's wife in a small town in central Louisiana. You know, excitement to follow Jesus wherever you want me to go, Lord. You know, whatever you want me to do, so excited. Pastor's wife, small town, Louisiana. They had nothing to do with each other. Absolutely nothing. You know, after our first four years, uh, our, our church planning adventure in Louisiana, if you know anything about Louisiana, you know it was an adventure. Uh, we began our second church plant in South Alabama through M&A. But even with my time as a seminary wife, an internship at a church plant in Florida, and one church plant under my belt at age 29... I was still young and inexperienced enough to foolishly believe that a change of scenery and a new group of people would mean that I would have a different experience as a pastor's wife. So I began that second church plant really excited, ready to see what God would do through us, you know, like renew, okay, here we go, second chance, you know, wipe the slate clean, here we go. Um... But once again, after a few years and the newness had worn off, I found myself once again discontent and struggling and asking the same question. Is this what it means to follow Jesus in the ministry? Is this as good as it's going to get? And I mean, it is so weird. Instead of drawing closer to God, which is kind of what you would think, you know, you're the person that raises their hand, yes, Wherever you want me to go, Jesus, I will go. You know, you're that person. And, and what do you think? You think that that means you're going to be close to Jesus. You know, you're going to be one of those insider disciples, you know, that you always wanted to be when you read the New Testament. So I expected that I would be close to Jesus in ministry. But the exact opposite happened for me. The pastor, being a pastor's wife, had the exact opposite effect on me. Instead of being close to Jesus, he felt very far away. And all the excitement and anticipation that had typified my life before ministry was really gone. 
God was distant when I needed him the most. And although it was completely invisible to me at the time, somewhere along the line, and I don't know how or where, I had begun to believe that my struggles in ministry were a lack of effort and commitment on my part. You know, if my quiet times were just deeper, you know, more frequent, <laughs> um, if I would share the gospel with people every day, you know, I didn't, I didn't share the gospel with the, with the grocery clerk when I was getting my groceries checked out. Um, maybe then I wouldn't feel so ashamed to go into God's presence. Like, I'm sorry, God, I didn't do that. Or maybe if I just volunteer for more jobs at the church, okay? Um, maybe if I pray more, then I'll feel close to God like I used to. What, what am I doing? You know, what am I not doing? Where is God? <clears throat> maybe then I'd feel its approval. I had a very noisy conscience. I mean, if you're guilty about every time you don't talk to the gas station guy about Jesus. Um, I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm just saying, man, my conscience was on overdrive. I didn't have any peace. I had very little peace in my life. And I really couldn't see a lot of evidence of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, I began to behave as if I could do enough to win God's approval. Um, And somehow that God's expectation of me especially as a pastor's wife. I don't know, somehow that got in my head, under my skin, that God had kind of expected me to be a perfect example. And if I could just figure that out, then I would feel close to him. Then he would answer my prayers. Then I would feel his blessings. But you know what my experience was. Oh, of course you do. I could not hit the mark. I couldn't do it. No matter how hard I tried, I was always failing to live up to the standard that I had set, the standard that I thought that God had set for me. And every day for me was a losing battle for holiness that I couldn't seem to attain. And so my life was sort of promises, redoubled efforts, resolutions. That was sort of the cycle of my life. Lord, I... I, I will do better. I will, I will talk to folks. I, I will volunteer. Um, but gradually, I became more and more depressed. Depressed. I was trying hard, but nothing worked. My efforts were failing. And so the way I survived being a pastor's wife for the first 14 years, um, without jumping off the nearest bridge or throwing myself under the nearest bus, was to pretend that I was fine and cover up all evidence to the contrary. You know, because I really was a nice person. Uh, I really was a giving person. I did a lot for others uh, without getting much in return. I was trying my best to please God and to please those around me. And so I just came to accept the loneliness and the isolation of my life as a pastor's wife as the norm. Um, And that was the best that I would ever get in life. What, What else could you do? What else can you do? That was my question. 
what else can I do, God? Well, what, you know, what more can you ask of me? It was about that time in life, which, oh my goodness, it's, you know, I'm on the floor depressed. I don't know about you. But I was finally desperate enough. And, you know, I'm really hard-headed and extremely proud. And it took a lot of years of trying hard, failing, and loneliness to make me desperate enough for something better than just getting better at being a pastor's wife. You know, for something more than just a self-reformation where I could look at myself in the mirror and say, I'm doing such a great job. Um, I was desperate for a savior, even as a believer, even as a pastor's wife. And the promises of the gospel started to come alive in my heart. They became real to me. And my life began to fill with hope, which was had had been lost to me for a long time. And even weirdly, joy began to leak out of my heart. So now I'm going to ask you a real question, and I'm hoping that you might have an answer. You can just shout it out. How does honesty about our sin and our daily need for Jesus create hope and joy in our lives? If you long for hope and joy in your relationship with Jesus, how does honesty about your sin, what in the world is honesty about your sin have to do with hope and joy? Does anybody have any ideas? Like the whiteboard, like the college students, it helps you know how much you need Jesus. It frees you, that's right. It connects you with reality. I think it makes you just like everybody else. It does. The pastor's wife's hat on. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. You're down in the dirt with everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. It frees you up to be yourself and not to worry so much about what other people uh-huh. think about you. Mm-hmm. I know, I was so busy, worried about what people thought of me. Oh, my goodness. Um, I didn't write this down, so I probably won't remember it right, but there's a movie where Bette Midler says, uh, she's talking about herself for like ad infinitum, and then she finally looks at the person that she's talking to, and she says, well, that's enough about me, so what do you think about me? (laughs) That was the way I was. It's like if I wasn't thinking about me, I wondered what you were thinking about me, you know, or God thought about me. But, you know, it's all, you know, what's everybody thinking about me? You know. For those of us who are on the front line of ministry, we don't have somebody standing beside us reminding us of the promises of the gospel, do we? We're usually the ones that are reminding others. Um, More often than not, our primary source of encouragement is going to be the Holy Spirit speaking through the scriptures to our hearts and our willingness to believe what he says. Um, not just theologically, because I know that you guys have great theology. Uh, And not intellectually, which is where we always push it, up in the intellect. But the actual reality of my life, that I can hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. What truths of the gospel I need to hear. So what, what truths of the gospel do I need to remember and believe each day to connect 
Well, I know you know this, but I'm going to repeat it because it helps me. I need to believe that Jesus paid the price to cover all my sins. Past, screwed up pastor's wife, present, screwed up surge person, future. (laughs) And even today, I think we tend to, I tend to live in the past or the future. I can believe that Jesus forgave the past, and I can believe that he will forgive the future. But today, today's a little marshy, isn't it? It's hard to connect with my sin today. Even Jesus forgives the ugly, repetitive stuff that really presses in on us, like grumbling, complaining, the propensity I have to shade the truth just a little bit so I look pretty good. I'm sure you never do that, but since this is all about me, I can talk about myself. Those sins, even those sins have been forgiven. You know, when I go to Jesus and I go, I cannot believe it, Jesus, but here I am again. I did it again. Even those sins. When I remember what it means to be forgiven of all my sin, that guilt, 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 that I unconsciously carry around and don't even realize a lot of times, is replaced by joy. Real joy that I can't manufacture because joy is not something that I do. Joy is a response. Joy is a response that something, to something that's happening to me. <clears throat> joy is my response in the moment when I realize that once again, The board has been wiped clean. Because God's forgiveness is a true gift. It's the gift of the finished work of Christ. So the the source of my joy is not my goodness, but his goodness given to me as a free gift. So what else do I need to remember and believe about the gospel? I need to remember that Jesus' perfect record of obedience was credited to me when I put my trust in him so that when I stand before the holy triune God, who is also my father, but he is still the holy triune God, and when I stand before him, I stand perfect forever, perfect today because of the righteousness of Christ. I cannot earn enough righteousness to stand before God on my own. And I don't know where we go off the rails, but I go off the rails all the time thinking that somehow I can gain God's approval by what I do or by what I stop doing. But I can never be righteous enough to stand before a holy God. And I have to receive another's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that is given to each of us as a gift. It's a gift. But, you know, I'm a sinner. And and, and that's in there. And then it kind of slips away and the day begins and people call on the phone and 
um, like a dear, sweet um, young pastor's wife, a friend of mine, she reads a Facebook posting, and it just devastates her day. You know, somebody does just a little Facebook jab, you know. Um, and it quickly just leaks out of us, doesn't it? And then I kind of go back to proud of the things I'm doing or despair because once again, I've messed up. And so when I am not consciously connected to the gospel, I unconsciously, because it's the, it's the way my heart goes, start putting good works back on the old whiteboard. You know, just for, um, for that moment, Christ's righteousness, thank you God, I'm free. And then somehow, I start adding little things to the board. Hey, in my quiet time this morning, I read extra scripture, I'm memorizing a verse. I didn't lie. I could have lied, but I didn't lie to make myself good look, look good. I'm feeling so excited about myself. I gave money. Woohoo! You know, I gave money out of my household budget. You know, I'm awesome. Or if you're like me, I did not click that link on my computer screen. I was tempted to go look at the shopping website, or you know, you know, for women, it's all about acquisitiveness for men, their, their click buttons are different, but ours are usually, you know, about covetousness and stuff we want. Um, you know, I homeschool my kids, woohoo! I don't homeschool my kids, woohoo! You know, I mean, whatever you feel good about, you know. Or nowadays, it's like I fixed a healthy meal. That is something to be proud of, you know. I went to church instead of watching my favorite TV show. I really wanted to watch that TV show, but I went to that meeting because, you know, I'm awesome. I'm committed. We just fill up the board. We just fill up the board. It's just like breathing. It's just like breathing. And when I live just my daily life, not like my, not my life on paper, but my real life, as if my relationship with Christ rests on my good efforts, then all of a sudden I am once again the center of attention. How am I doing? What am I doing? Am I doing well? Am I messing up? When I fill the whiteboard with my stuff, I lose sight of that foundation, which my relationship with, with God always rests on the foundation of Christ's righteousness. That's not, that doesn't change. That's never changing. That's never wavering. What we're talking about is our experience of that. <clears throat> but when I am believing that my relationship with God rests not on the stuff I do for God, but on the finished work of Christ, on the work that he has done for me, then he becomes the center of attention. And I can finally stop looking at myself and my performance and respond to him with some faith and believe that the promises are true for me today, today. But, you know, this kind of, to me, this begs an obvious question. Since Jesus has forgiven all of our sins, we do stand on this foundation of Christ's righteousness why do we have to keep talking about our sin? I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, 
can we just ignore it because it has been forgiven? Um, can we just say thank you and sort of move on? <laughs> Receive the gift? Um, either it is forgiven, truly forgiven, a gift, or it's not. You know, either it's really free or we have to do something to earn it. So if it's free, why do we have to keep talking about sin? What is the value? What is the value of looking at my sin? Isn't that kind of depressing? I mean, it is, yeah. Because it's all been forgiven, you know? See, I think that's a really good question. It's not a new question. In fact, Paul answers that question. But um, it does get to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? What is the value of seeing my sin? Because you know what? I don't really want to see it. And if somebody tells me that Jesus has forgiven it all, then what I naturally do is say, oh, awesome, because I didn't really like looking at it anyway. Woo! Okay, that is grace, free grace. All right, we don't have to think about our sin anymore. But it is such an odd thing. Honesty about my sin and my present need for Jesus today and my present need for his cleansing blood today is what connects me to the promises of the gospel. And that's what connects me to the presence of Christ. So, so okay, what does it look like to be connected to the president, pre- promises of the gospel? <clears throat> it's really kind of a pretty simple human relational thing. When I take my sin to God, what happens? He always welcomes me as his child because I'm on that foundation of the righteousness of Christ. He forgives me. I did it, I did it again, God. He forgives me. And in that moment, I am reminded of what Jesus has really done for me. Um, I'm connected to it. I'm connected to that truth. And I'm reminded of the love that was behind it. And this experience of receiving God's welcome and the assurance once again today, in this moment, that he has forgiven that latest batch of sins. Uh, You know, that moment when you were out in the hall and you were talking to somebody and you walk away and you realize... Boy, I was really bragging about myself. Gosh, I can't believe I did that again. Why do I keep doing that? That moment, even my latest batch of sins that I bring to him, that experience of going into God's presence, it binds me to him. It's a very human thing. And my devotion to him and my loyalty to him come out of that moment that moment of being in his presence, that moment of receiving his welcome, even though I don't deserve it, that moment of hearing his love through his son, and my devotion and my loyalty grow and are connected to him, and my love for him grows out of that moment. Because it's a real moment. He is really engaging with me. He is speaking to me. He pronounces me clean. He cleans up that noisy conscience. 
he says, I haven't given up on you, Barbara. Yes, I know. I, I, I saw you out there bragging about how great you are. But I haven't given up on you. You know, he loves me. And that's, that's the moment when I realize I can enjoy my relationship with God. I enjoy it. My relationship with him goes beyond some sort of legal standing that we talk about, which is true. But it goes beyond that to an experiential one. I am in his presence. I do hear his words of comfort. I do hear his words of love and hope that I belong to him, that I'm in his heart. I'm reminded of what I mean to him, that I'm his child and of what he's done for me. Um, I, it's interesting, David in Psalms 116 says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. You know, that moment when we connect with him, that's where we uh, step into step out of the abstract and disconnected with my experience relationship with God and into the real, he is speaking to my heart, truth, relationship with God. It's kind of like if you thought of um, God, uh, God, our Father, uh, God, God the benevolent Father, and he decides to uh, adopt a whole bunch of orphans, of which I am one, and I receive a letter and the letter says, you have been adopted by God the Father. And he will be keeping an eye on your progress. He will pay all your bills. He will put you through college. He'll buy your food. He'll buy your clothes. He'll make sure you have shoes. And he's going to do all of that through his lawyer. Congratulations. You have been adopted by God the Father. I think that's the way a lot of us live, isn't it? But it's a very different experience when, as an orphan, I'm brought into the father's family. I'm playing with my dolls by the, by the fireplace while he reads the paper in the chair. He calls me up and I get to sit by him and he reads me the funny paper. I'm in his presence. I live in his house with him as his child. Not far away, some, not some legal child with a piece of paper that says I belong to him and that I can use his name, I can call myself by his name, but brought near to live with him under his roof to enjoy the pleasure of his company, to enjoy being a part of his family. That's very different, isn't it? That's a very different relationship with God. Do you remember where I started? Uh, with my deep longing to be close to Jesus, which I lost when I became a pastor's wife. Somehow, being a pastor's wife pushed me to settle for a managed, idea-driven relationship with God. But God answers the longings of our heart with a simple message of the gospel. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, I hope you've heard it. I am a really ordinary person um, with all sorts of quirks and problems. But something extraordinary has happened to me. I have begun to believe the promises of the gospel are true for me in my life. So, I have a question. What changes would you like to see the gospel make in you? And I would really encourage you to write that down. Maybe another way to ask that question is, how much do you need Jesus today? You know, if we don't need him, we don't need him. If we don't need him, we don't go to him. If we don't need him, we ignore his voice. And so I think the question for all of us in ministry, I mean, being a pastor's wife, being in ministry, I think can make it harder to hear God's voice. Um, But we're the ones that really need to hear it, don't we? Because what are you saying to the people around you? What are you showing them by your life? You know, work hard, be good. Um, Or are you saying, I need Jesus. This is how I need Jesus. I, I am not confused. I know what it's like. You can't tell people in the church everything that's going on inside your brain or um, inside your heart. Um, it would just not be helpful, would it? <laughs> I mean, you're actually supposed to be loving them because it is, after all, not about us, right? Um, you know, not about us venting through our blogs. Um, uh, it's really about loving people and encouraging them to believe in the promises of Christ for themselves. You know, so you can't tell them everything that's going on. But, uh, you know, if we don't give people a window into the reality of what it means to be a sinner who is currently experiencing the forgiveness of Christ for my current problems and sins today, then how will they know how to do that? You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They're free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.